The Two Journeys. The books of Shemot and Bamidbar have some striking similarities. They're both about journeys. They both portray the Israelites as quarrelsome and ungrateful. Both contain stories about the people complaining about food and water. In both, the Israelites commit a major sin in Shemot, the golden calf, in Bamidbar, the episode of the spies. In both, God threatens to destroy them and begin again with Moses. Both times, Moses' passionate appeal persuades God to forgive the people. It's easy when reading Bamidbar to feel a sense of deja vu. We have been here before. But there is a difference. Shmos is about a journey from. Bamidbar is about a journey to. Shmos is the story of an escape from slavery. Exodus. The English name of the book means just that. Departure, withdrawal, leaving. By contrast, in Bamidbar, the people have already left Egypt far behind. They've spent a prolonged period in the Sinai Desert. They've received the Torah and built the sanctuary, and now they're ready to move on. This time they're looking forward, not back. They're thinking not of the danger they're fleeing from, but of the destination they're traveling toward, namely the promised land. If we had never read the Torah before, we might have assumed that the second half of the journey would be more relaxed, the people more optimistic, the mood more hopeful. After all, the great dangers had passed. After prolonged refusal, finally Pharaoh had let the people go. Miraculously, they had been saved at the Red Sea. They had fought and defeated the Amalekites. What else did they have to worry about? They knew that when God was with them, no force could prevail against them. In fact, though, the opposite is the case. The mood of Bermidbar is palpably darker than it is in Shemot. The rebellions are more serious. Moses' leadership is more hesitant. We see him giving way at times to anger and despair. The Torah, with great realism, is telling us something counterintuitive but of great significance. The journey from is always easier than the journey to. So it is in politics. It may take a revolution to depose a tyrant, but it's easier to do that than to create a genuinely free society with the rule of law and respect for human rights. The Arab Spring, with its high hopes and its legacy of failing states, civil war and terror, is a compelling example. So is the history of post-Tito Yugoslavia or present-day Russia. Likewise, in the life of individuals, there have been endless stories in the modern world of Jews who were determined to break free of the ghetto and what they saw as Jewish provincialism and backwardness. They became great successes in one field after another, only to find themselves, like the Moranos of 15th century Spain, deeply conflicted and doubly alienated, having a lost a home in the old world and failed to find full acceptance in the new. There is a biological reason why this is so. We are genetically predisposed to react strongly to danger. Our deepest instincts are aroused. We move into the fight-or-flight mode with our senses alert, our attention focused, and our adrenaline levels high. When it comes to fleeing from, we often find ourselves accessing strengths we didn't know we had. 
but fleeing too is something else entirely. It makes it means making a home in a place where literally or metaphorically we have not been before. We become strangers in a strange land. We need to learn new skills, shoulder new responsibilities, acquire new strengths, and that calls for imagination and willpower. It involves the most unique of all human abilities in visiting a future that has not yet been and then acting to bring it about. Fleeing, too, is a journey into the unknown. That was the difference between Abraham and his father Terach. The Torah tells us that Terach took his son Abraham and they went together from Or Kastim to go to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terach had sufficient willpower for the journey from, from Or Kastim, but not for the journey to, to Eretz Canaan. It was left to Abraham to reach the destination. To be a Jew is to know that in some sense life is a journey. So it was for Abraham, so it was for Moses, so it is for us, collectively and individually. Hence the importance of knowing at the outset where we are traveling to and never forgetting and never giving up. Leaving is easy. Arriving is hard. Which is why when students ask me for advice about their careers, I tell them that the most important thing to do is to dream. Dream about what you would like to do, like to be, like to achieve. Dream about the chapter you would like to write in the story of our people. Dream about what difference you would like to make to the world. In dreams, said W.B. Yeats, begin responsibilities. I'm not entirely sure what he meant by that, but this I know. In dreams begin destinations. They are where we start thinking about the future. They signal the direction of our journey. I'm amazed by how many people never really dream a future for themselves. They can spend months planning a holiday, but not even a day planning a life. They take it as it comes. They wait, like Charles Dickens' Mr. Micawber, for something to turn up. This is not the best recipe for a life. Wherever you find the word Vayachi, said the sages, and it came to pass, it's always Eina El Aloshan Tsar. It's always a prelude to pain. Letting things happen is passive, not active. It means that you are letting outside factors determine the course of your life. Of course, they'll always affect it. However sure we are of what we want to achieve, we're always subject to unexpected occurrences, wrong turns, bad decisions, setbacks and failures. But if we know where we want to be, eventually we'll get back on track. Timothy Ferris, compiler of the book Tribe of Mentors, asked me an interesting question. He said, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? I told him that just before I became chief rabbi in 1991, I realized that the sheer pressure of unexpected happenings, especially when you're in public life, can blow anyone off course. When someone asked British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan what he most feared, he replied, events, dear boy, events. So it became clear to me that I had to set out my objectives in advance in such a way as to ensure I would never forget or be distracted from them. In 1991, we didn't yet have smartphones or computerized diaries. 
I used a pocket notebook called a Filofax. So on the first page of my Filofax, I wrote my life goals. This meant that I saw them every time I looked in my diary. I was reminded of them several times daily. I still have them, and they haven't changed in all the intervening years. How far I was successful, I don't know, but this I know, that I never forgot where I was travelling to. I never lost sight of the destination. Travelling from is easy. I knew I had to overcome my ignorance, Jewish and secular. I knew I had bad habits I had to cure, and I'm still working on them. But the real challenge is to know where Hashem wants us to travel to. What task will we put in the world in this time and place with these gifts to do? The answer to that constitutes the destination we key into our satellite navigation system for the journey called life. The Israelites in their journey made a series of mistakes. They focused too much on the present, food, water, and too little on the future. When they faced difficulties, they had too much fear and too little faith. They kept looking back to how things were instead of looking forward to how they might be. The result was that almost an entire generation suffered the fate of Abraham's father. They knew how to leave, but not how to arrive. They experienced exodus, but not entry. So, in answer to Tim Ferriss's question, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused? I replied with this life-changing idea. Remember your destination. This will help you make the most important distinction in life, which is to distinguish between an opportunity to be seized and a temptation to be resisted. Shabbat Shalom.